Okay. Uh, I'm here today at Medusa Brewing in Hudson, and it's an awesome place. We're sitting here in the tap room, so thanks for having me today. And um, now that the formalities are over, let's get going. I, hate, I always hate opening the show because it's like we go from having a great conversation for half an hour to, all right, let me play some awkward music and sit here quietly looking at each other. And No, it's just a quick break from the conversation. Right, right. So um, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I've... I'm a, I'm, I'm a customer. I've been here a number of times. I like the beer. I oh, like the awesome. business. So I have questions of uh, just my own personal interest, but of course I want to talk to you about the business yeah. itself. I think uh, before I get into what I'm wondering about, a good place to start is just tell us about it because most people won't know Medusa, at least not yet. So tell yeah. us about the brewery. What makes it a special place? What, what, what makes it yours? You know, what did you build here? Yeah, so Medusa is the culmination of what my, my partners, uh, Keith Antle and Tom Sutter, and I enjoy about, you know, drinking beer, um, how we make beer, and the experience that we want to deliver to people. And every, every brewery's got a story, of course, but ours is, um, you know, we, we set out to create a space that we wanted to hang out in ourselves. Like, where would we want to drink beer if we were to, you know, go to a brewery? What would we want it to look like? Yeah. And this wasn't just something we threw, to, threw together that had to work or, you know, let's, let's make the beer and then we'll figure out the tap room later. This whole thing was designed around this room, which is why it, it has this atmosphere to it. Um, and so we want people to be able to sit, enjoy, get to know one another. And I don't want to say the beer is secondary. It's certainly the primary reason why you come here. But, the, you know, the, the main goal was to create an environment, really. And, a, and, and now we've kind of done that and we're we're trying to grow that environment outward more into like a culture and grow our brand sort of, if you will. Um, so it's, this is sort of a, a very organic display of who we are and what we like to do. Like you see, you know, you got Jimi Hendrix paintings and beastie boys and Bob Dylan and, you know, all these crazy artwork around you. And then, you know, colorful neon chalkboards on a brick wall. It doesn't really make a lot of sense sometimes, but it's just a lot of different ideas thrown together and it, it works. Yeah, it does. And that's one thing for people that haven't been here, at least not yet. I think what's cool about it too is the fact that it's got the community feel where, you know, there's certain places you can go to drink a beer or there's go places you can go drink beer with your friends. And this is more one of those where there's a place yeah. to sit. You look, we bring our kids here and they play with the blocks and there's games <laughs> and there's other stuff in the other room. At least there was before last. Yeah, right here. I can see them. Yep. So there's, and you, you guys are part of the community, which I want to get into more as we go. Cause I've, I've seen from the outside, a lot of work that you've done, not only with the town, but you know, to, to bring life back to the downtown area here. It's you're part of what's happening down in Hudson, making a difference. And, I think it's, it's cool, but what I was getting at is you also allow restaurants and other places to have food in here. You don't serve food, so you make it like a, an easy place to spend a lot of time, an yeah. easy place to facilitate other businesses around town just to make it, like kind of what you're saying, a, a, a meeting place, a place to spend some actual time, where some breweries, it feels like, thank you, goodbye. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big thing, especially going into this new 2020 year, like, one of our goals has always been, but even more so now, is just to kind of provide a, an experience that you don't really get typically. And um, I think that's kind of where the industry's headed too, is breweries, you can't just open up in a garage anymore and say, the beer's available, you know, come up here and, you know, order at the counter. I think you have to have something that's a little bit more, you know, 
more inviting, um, easier for families, obviously, because that's just become part of American culture. Definitely. You know, visiting. Much more than a bar. But yeah. you see families at breweries, you don't see them at bars. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, I don't know, I think it's just because, you know, a bar is, is there for a purpose, which is just to purchase alcohol and resell it to a consumer, where right. at a brewery you're visiting people who are actually making it. Yep. And It's know, a craft. Yeah. And, and it's local. You it's, know, it's got a community around it. It's a thing. It's, it's like being at a local restaurant. Someone's putting work into what, mm-hmm. you're, what you're taking part in. Exactly. And um, it's something where, you know, everyone can kind of, especially at a tap, in this new taproom environment that's become wildly popular now, there's, there's a lot more freedom for the brewer. Um, you're, not, you're not putting, you know, all of your resources into brewing large batches of beer. You can do a lot more different things. And what the end result is the consumer now has a lot more options. And when you come in with a group of friends, um, people who are experienced craft beer drinkers or really picky drinkers Mm -hmm. or people who have no experience whatsoever, um, Medusa and a lot of other tap rooms around the state, you'll, you'll find something for everyone. Yeah. That's, and that's really cool. And I think that's cool about the, their beer here. I've noticed every time I've been in, you have, you have beer for the beer lover. You know, you have, you have good IPAs, you have, Beers, regular, I don't say regular because they're you know, unique to you like every brewery, but they're a beer you would expect to drink. And then you have a bunch of other beers that you seem to experiment with and you create. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what leads you there? You know, is that, was that since before Medusa existed you liked experimenting with beer? Is that a part of the culture here? Yeah, so um, Keith Antle, I'm Keith Sullivan, and Keith Antle is the, my business partner, head brewer. He, um, so everybody calls me Sully. It makes it easier. But um, he... When I met him, uh, he was, uh, he was a, I don't want to say acclaimed, but he was, everyone knew him in, in the Worcester homebrewing scene. He had been brewing for a long time, um, and uh, that was his thing, was mm-hmm. uh, every Memorial Day and every Labor Day, he would have a, you know, a cookout at his house. This was all before kids, of course, and his keyser, if you will, his homebrew, you know, serving setup was not just two beers. It was like eight to ten. Wow. He'd have jockey boxes. I mean, he just brewed all the time. And um, he was really into, he learned a lot of his chops on uh, brewing classic styles. Um, one of which was, is a beer that we have on tap right now, our, our 80 shilling or our Scottish export. Simple beer to drink, um, but a beer that you have to really know what you're doing to pull it off and, and you know, brew and ferment it properly. So he would have these parties with, you know, the who's who of the Worcester beer scene there. And... Um, Word got around and... Yeah, and w- when we started designing this whole, you know, tap room and everything, we're like, what's the beer program going to be like, the philosophy on beer? And he's like, let's just have a Labor Day party every day. And so that's kind of the premise behind it was like, just keep brewing things like, and Keith has certainly stayed on top of the, you know, the cutting edge in terms of brewing, you know, things that are wildly popular in the moment but we don't want to rely on them to stay popular. Sure. Um, so a lot of our, you know, portfolio is, is um, beer that we feel is never going to go out of style. Um, stuff like our golden ale luminary, you know, just, it sounds boring to say golden ale, but if you sit down and drink it, you know, right. it is our most popular beer. Right. We good beer is good beer. Good beer is good beer. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge kind of, you know, picking and choosing what we're brewing, you know, during certain times we've had, you know, some, some issues where the menu's almost all IPA and we never want to be that, mm-hmm. not the whole menu, but I mean like right. eight out of 10 beers and we've really gotten a good pace with it this year and last year. And, you know, right now we've got 18 on draft and 
probably like four or five hoppy beers, four or five malty beers, light Belgian, sour, German beers. I mean, it's, and they're all good. All that, of well, that's the key. Well, because they're not always all good everywhere you, you go. Yeah, and I think I think that's cool too with the IPAs and and a golden or pale ales where people almost you know in the in the craft space where they want to be in the forefront, they, people almost turn their nose to because IPA is so popular. They almost <coughs> don't want to do IPAs, but at the same time, if you ask nine out of ten craft beer drinkers, what's your favorite kind of beer? It's IPA. Yeah, people love IPA, right? So it's it makes sense to at least have a few different takes on everybody's favorite kind of beer. So it's smart. You know, you got to you got to give people beer they want to drink and yeah. then let them experiment and let them come back. You know, they might want to drink, they might love Laser Cat, right? That's I know that's one I like. And that's an IPA, right? Yep. They double, might like that IPA. and then they might try one of the crazier flavors or something new. And you guys have awesome names too. Who comes up with the names? <laughs> 9 out of 10 of them is uh, Keith. He's just he likes coming up with names that make people think and a lot of them are double meaning. Um you know, like Moffat, the one I was just talking about, mm-hmm. 80, or 80 shilling is, uh, it's a Scottish 80, 80 shilling or Scottish export, but it's also named after Alan Moffat, who's a, you know, musician, Scottish musician, um, Aiden Moffat rather, sorry. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's just lots of different, you know, takes and it. it's funny because the customers ask, why the heck do you call the beer that? And that's where the conversation starts with, with the team, you know, definitely. I've noticed that too here and when I've been here and it, it goes for a lot of local breweries, but the, the, the bartenders or whatever they're called beer tenders or um, they're, they're friendly. Like, and they, yeah. they don't mind talking about the beer or about the place or just talking in general. And that's another difference. I think that like we were saying, there's a difference between a bar and a brewery with families and I have nothing against bars, but they're not, um, they're not typically as personal cause they're, I don't know why it's just, it's a different field. Maybe cause it's not a passion yeah. brewed thing. I think when you're, you know, I don't know if it's just the way we run the team here, but everybody has a role, a very important role. Like if you're, you know, serving beer, it's because you're representing what we make and everyone here is required to be knowledgeable about it. So everyone has a, you know, a a stake in it, if you will. Um, And maybe we just run a good company. It's my first business, so it's hard to say, but we've, most of our team has been here for four years, five, five, almost five years, some of them. Yeah, I've noticed repeat faces when I come in, which yeah. is really cool. We don't have a lot of turnover. Um, and when people leave, it's typically because they're moving or going somewhere. And I just think people are invested in this and um, they're along for the ride with us. We don't all know where it's going. Um, but kind of, kind of a, the realization you come to as a business owner, though. You, yeah. Even if no matter how much you do your plan before you open it and how ironclad you think it is, you don't know what next year is. We don't. And, you know, we're... Now, we're in an industry where there's a lot of question about where is this going and everyone's got an opinion. Is it going hard seltzer? Is it going, you know, uh, craft spirits? And, you know, you know, a couple of years ago is everything's going session and that, you know, just, they just came out with numbers this year saying Imperial IPA is selling more than it ever has. So yeah. No what about really. non-alcoholic beers? Have you ever experienced with brewing those? We don't have any experience brewing those. Um, but I have noticed that, that, that is certainly something that's increasing in popularity. I Seems know, it. Yeah, I know some brewers are, are are investing in equipment to to do to do alcohol extraction, and um, it's it's an expensive process to do right. Is it? Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I, I don't really know a lot about it either. <laughs> we haven't done it yet. <laughs> we haven't done it yet. I know Keith Keith is pretty familiar with how it could be pulled off, um, but 
I'd rather just kind of make, we make some low alcohol stuff like our Berliner Weiss and uh, some of our session beers are all in the 4% range. That's good. Berliner's in the 3% range. Um, and those just don't sell that fast. Um, so I, I think it's... That's because they sell to people like me who are over 40 who want a beer that's <laughs> not going to put them on their ass. They want to yeah. take, take, have a few beers and be feeling normal. <laughs> well, yeah, it's... I don't, I don't know. We're, we're still playing around with it a little bit. But um, yeah, I think the... The, there is a market for for low alcohol beer. I know um, there was a company that did zero alcohol champagne, and they sold a lot uh, at the end of the last year. I'm, huh. I'm interested to see how they do this year around. Like you know, the fizzy grape juice you give your kids at Thanksgiving, kind of yeah, like, yeah, something like that. Um, but I, America just drinks too much. I don't think it's ever going to go. I agree. I mean, that's coming from a brewery owner, a yeah. brewer of beer. But yeah, I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think it's an in- industry in any danger at all. I, I think it's a very safe place to be is giving people beer. It is. That's, that's a good, safe, you know, there's always risks. There's a lot of other breweries. There's a lot of choice that people have. It's more now than ever. Yep. But uh, I think it seems like as long as you don't have five or six in a row, and you have a place people can feel comfortable spending time, it's a pretty good business model right now. Having a, a nice, if you put the energy into the brewery, it'll give it back, Yeah, it seems like. Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, we, when we opened Medusa, there were, I think, in the, I think there were 48 breweries in Massachusetts, and here we are four and a half years later, and there's almost 200. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so, crazy, 200, because I've probably been to 10, and I love breweries. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even, I couldn't name 200 yeah, at it's, all. It's incredible. There's only one person that can. It's the mass brew bros because they stay on top of all of that stuff. 200. That's, is that all? They don't all have tap rooms, right? No. We, um, so my other job in the industry is I'm on the, the board of the uh, Mass Brewers Guild. And so we do look, a lot, we, we do look at a lot of the uh, you know, analytics and, you know, I guess, or market data, um, industry data. In, in Massachusetts, right. what's going on. And I think um, just a few months ago, we arrived at, there's just about 200 breweries open and over 100 of them are visitable with a tap room. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's kind of cool though, because it's a, it's a, for a service industry, I think inherently it's got a lot of creative or creativity in the nature of it. You know, when you go to one, you expect kind of wood and copper and uh, like a, a place that's going to be pleasing to look at as yep. well as pleasing to drink the beer. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I like that. I think it's cool. I think it's, I, I have a good time enjoying and looking at other breweries. And even my kids love them. My kids, yeah. my kids like, you know, what are you going to do today? Let's go to a brewery. Cause they yep. know they're going to get to play, probably get to eat from a food truck, you know, instead yep. of one of mom and dad's stupid pizza, healthy yeah. lunches. Yeah. yeah. They're going to get to enjoy it. So it, it's, um, I, I don't know. I, I love it. And before uh, we go too deep because I do want to talk more about the beer. I want to talk about, you, you mentioned Medusa coming to be. How did that, like how long have you been open now? Uh, we opened in March of uh, 2015. So we're, you know, four and a half years. And it's going strong. And I want to get to that with like the expansion and some of yeah. the stuff because I, I don't know much about it. And I, I just know <clears throat> the, the news. So I'd love to talk more about that and where you're going. Of course. But before that, what I'm more interested in is before Medusa opens, what I want to talk about it all. I want to talk, what were you doing prior? How do you end up with three different partners? You know, how do you yeah. guys all come together and how does that work as a relationship? Um, I want to talk about all that stuff. So let's just start with how, how long did it take before Medusa went from an idea to a thing? And then let's talk through that time. Okay. Um, so I was employed um, selling software 
for this this uh, this company in Chelmsford, and uh, just Keith Ansel got hired, and um, I think one of his first his first job was to come with me to Atlantic City. Go figure. Um, not much of a beer scene down there, but go with me to Atlantic City to get trained up on on what we do. And, uh-huh. um, so I he and I drove down, and it's a seven hour drive with traffic sometimes. It's supposed to be five, but it was like seven. And he and I just listened to music. I knew he was a beer fan. Um, and I was into craft beer mm-hmm. at that time. Um, I lived in Worcester, and I was uh, regularly regularly going to Armsby Abbey, which is an awesome beer bar. It uh, is. Good food, too. Tr- truly incredible, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, But I was interested more in the brewing side, so I was asking him all these questions about home brewing and, um, and music. And he and I just kind of bonded. Um, and at some point, we, were, we both lived in Worcester, so we were carpooling. And, um, you know, it just came out one morning that I had some family in the restaurant industry with experience. Um, and, uh, he said, really? He's like, well, I've always wanted to open a brewery because that's what I do. That's right. My house is, <laughs> my house is a brewery. Yeah. And then maybe his wife, Emily wanted him to relocate all that sure. equipment somewhere. But, um, he and I started just talking on a daily basis about what that would look like. And, and, uh, there were no tap rooms. There were no tap rooms at the time. This was probably 2010. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we just, we talked about it. We looked at some spaces and we realized that um, to do it right, to do what we wanted to do, we needed to be millionaires. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea about how to raise money. Um, and so it kind of fizzled out. But it was good because that, that period of time sort of, um, I guess, if you will, started this idea that yeah. remained an ember. I don't know if, if you've ever had it, but if you have there's like if you have an idea that just never goes away, you're constantly thinking about yep. it. Like maybe you maybe you went a little too fast at first and it just seemed un, unobtainable, but mm-hmm. you just there's something about it that you have to chase. For sure. And it, there were just no cool, I don't want to say no cool breweries, but there wasn't anything like this anywhere. We had seen it around the country in mm-hmm. other states where you could have a tap room. And um and even the bring your own food concept was something completely new to Massachusetts. It wasn't anything that we had seen. So anyways, I left that job and uh, I got, I worked at another, t- another job and flying around a lot. And um, I just more and more travel, entertaining, being on like more of a, a support engineer, sales side, kind mm-hmm. of a, you know, hybrid role. I took customers out and I just, I have always had this sort of, um, I've always been drawn to bars. I know that doesn't sound good, but I have to, I just, I <laughs> you're, like, you're in good company. And my wife and I too, like we, if we walk into a restaurant that has a great bar, we, we can't possibly sit at a table. Yeah. We have to be at the bar. Yeah. And um, I just, I like the, I like a good bar. There's something social about it. Something communal, something, even if you're not talking to other people, if it's just yeah. you and your wife or me and my wife, I mean, if we get a couple hours with the kids, they're going to be busy and we have, you know, we can run away and do something together. Yeah. It's either brewery, bar, winery. It's, yep. it's a place to go sit and talk. It's, just have it's a conversation. not about the alcohol more so than it's about the, um, it's about the, the social aspect mm-hmm. of it. And so I've always just been, I've always had like memories of really good bars. What was so cool about that bar? And I've been to, you know, million dollar bars where they have these ridiculous, you know, marble tops and you know they're hidden in the side of cent, you know central station in new york i mm-hmm. you know if you know which one i'm talking about no. this is a cool bar in there um and then i've been to these little dives you know that are just you know haven't seen uh you know fresh coat of paint in 50 years and and they're, they're, they're just as special so 
I, I reached back out to Keith um, after he and I really hadn't talked for a while um, just because we went separate ways. I yep. went to a new company. I said, hey, listen, I'm flying around all the time, and uh, I think I had a really great bonus program. I was like, I think I'm, I want to open up a bar. And there's this old gym on uh, Shrewsbury Street in Worcester that looks like it could be pretty cheap and made into like this kind of this vision I have. And it was just the perfect timing because he fired right back and he said, really? Well, check this out. And he sent me this article about how the uh, Massachusetts legislature had just passed a bill allowing breweries to um, basically apply for a local permit to pour full pints which is now known as the pouring permit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could, if you had a farmer brewer license, you could go to your town hall or your city hall and say, hey, listen, we'd, we'd like to have a pouring permit. It's not a liquor license, but you know, it, it, it could technically bring more people to the brewery. We could sure. pour full beer, not just those little two-ounce samples. Kind of a little bit of luck with the stars aligning between reconnecting yeah. and the right kind of legislative changes happening. Yeah, and so he said, um, he said well, why don't we do both? I said, what do you mean? He goes, why don't we open a brewery with a bar now? Because we can do that. And I said, oh, that sounds pretty awesome. He's like, yeah, we don't need, because when he and I were talking before, you had to have a restaurant because you had to have a brew pub license mm-hmm. in order to get those full pours and get the margins of, you know, that yeah. you needed to survive. And that was no longer the case. So we, we thought back on all those different places we had checked out in our separate travels or joint travels and like, yeah, we could do this. So he and I started looking around and, uh, the idea started going again, and just within the same month that conversation happened, this guy um, who was really close with the um, Alec Lopez and Sherry Sadowski that own Armsby Abbey, and, you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but the, uh, we're all kind of still, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mourning over the loss yeah, of the dive bar. Yeah, a little beat down over the dive bar. Yeah, but uh, this guy, Tom Sutter, um, was familiar with Keith's beer through Alec because Alec was always a fan of Keith Spear and um, had done some events with him as a home brewer. Mm. And he reached out to Keith and said, Hey, uh, I'm in a unique position where I've got a lot of time. Um, You know, I've traveled the world. I've been to pretty much every brewery in Germany, Belgium, you know, and uh, in America, I, I want to open a brewery and I need a brewer. And, uh, it was just in the same month that he and I started. So we're like, all right, so who's this Tom guy? And, and Keith's like, I think I know him. I think I remember him one night. And uh, so we, the three of us, like, let's just meet. Yeah. So we met, and uh, Tom, um, Keith and Tom were like, I remember you. I was at Armsby Abbey one night, and you brought in this 20 or 22-year-old bottle of Chimay and shared it with me at the bar. And Tom's like, yeah, I know. You know, I, that's why I reached out to you, because I met you that night, and I've, I've been thinking about opening this brewery. And... So anyways, the three of us really started talking and um, I had the kind of creative ideas um, just from being in sales and I don't know, I've always been creative. I've always been, you know, I've always loved being in bands and, you know, marketing the band, doing the content for the band and um, I don't know, I feel like the music side is your creative side. So I kind of took the natural role in that and Keith was obviously the beer guy and Tom had this incredible background in business management and um he had worked for some really large companies and worked his way up so he had done every role um real smart guy real operations kind of guy knows yeah. how to make all the pieces he fit has, together he has like freaking patents on stuff so i mean wow. he's he's a smart smart dude. guy yeah. yeah and so he's gone his the whole way through you know uh, specialty chem the specialty chemical industry and so he knows 
chemistry. He knows engineering. He knows um, where he was at in, in, a, in an executive role. It was more numbers and business planning and, you know, pro forma. Yeah. So he took the role of putting the numbers and, and the actual financials together. So mm-hmm. the three of us had this awesome package and we we're like, are we actually going to do this? And then I found out my wife was pregnant. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And it was like a days after that, I remember her and I saying, are we actually going to do this? Cause if we start asking people for money, you know, we got to commit. Yeah. So we put this plan together and, um, the last thing we had to do was come up with a name and, um, at the time there were 40 something breweries in, in Massachusetts and, the United States was just about to surpass the pre-prohibition number of breweries. So it was like 3,200 or something like That's that. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, which is funny because we're about to hit 8,000, I think, in the next year or so. But, um, you know, so the, 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 you know, the up, uptick in breweries was, was happening and so it was the perfect timing. The it was really good timing too because when you guys opened, it was, it was novel to have local access to a brewery. It felt really, really new. Where now it's exciting if a new brewery opens, but it doesn't feel new. That's, you know what I mean? That's a really cool way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, novel. So, and that's how we felt. Like, it perfect timing. I'm going to throw this thing right on Main Street because we found this space. Like, you know, it's not going to be buried away in an industrial park. Yeah. It's right on Main Street. And you found a town that was willing to work with you too, right? I mean, I don't know if it was always... Uh, it was a nice relationship Hudson. or how that got there, but... Well, the relationship here has always been great. Um, it's funny, but Keith and I, when we were traveling to Chelmsford, car mm-hmm. carpooling to that job where we met from Worcester, the Horseshoe Pub here in Hudson was a halfway point. Uh-huh. So when we hit heavy traffic, it's great. It, well, the bar used to be a horseshoe, and it was in one of those awesome, unique bars where no matter where you sat, you could see everyone. So yeah, you could talk always, to the people at the bar. Yeah, and they always had like eighty taps. So Hudson just kind of felt natural. It already had a craft beer scene and this restaurant, the rail trail had just opened up, up the street. It's a flatbread company and we didn't know who they were, but um, we, we checked it out one of the first times we met and they had a great craft beer program. Like they do. They, they were Good really, food too. Yeah. And they were, they were shooting for the stars with this awesome, like taking a chance with no light beer on tap. And we're like this town has some, some craft beer, you know, potential. Like, Chops. Let's yeah. do it. And we found this space with, whole concrete pad in the back in a it was retail. already there yeah no kidding in a what was this before it was an abishan hardware no kidding yeah and the whole back half of the building used to be an old church it does not look like an abishan now no it doesn't did you have to do any real construction yeah like this whole wall had to get opened up um it was uh it was lots of there's no there's no sh- pl- nothing in this building is plumb everything is weird angles and weird you know everything but um so I think that's cool, though. It is. It, it's character. It was tough to build it because we built almost all of it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, we know every inch of the building, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But it was the rear half. Main Street used to run up here, right where we're sitting. This mm. used to be Main Street. And then the back half was an old church that burned down. So the whole back is all this just, you know, rock. Like, it's, there's no number you can put on it for weight capacity when we had the engineers look at it. Like it's just slab on top of rock. So we're it's not moving. Perfect for a brewery. Yeah. yeah. Right on main street. So, um, that was a big cost saver. And, uh, but anyways, we, we thought up the name. Um, it was really funny because we kept going back and forth about all these dumb names that were tied to a theme that would just completely, you know, imprison us. Lock to you in. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Even the ability to grow. And then Keith, 
just out of nowhere said, well, I came up with this name and this logo, the same logo we have today. He's like, I came up with this name for a beer label for a homebrew bottle like a couple of years ago. And it just hit you. <laughs> and we're like, like, are you kidding it? me? That That's perfect. So, you know, Medusa kind of incorporates a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of mystery story. There's a bad side to it. There's a good side to yep. it. Um, it's a little you know, dangerous, a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's really worked well for us. The brand itself is awesome. Um, we're, you know, we, it's, it's been a blessing to have that logo and that, that brand because we're not Medusa Brewing Company. We're just Medusa. And it stands out. I think it stands, it stands out stands even out. among craft brews because the craft brew, there's an inclination to have organic type names yeah. where Medusa is yeah. not. It's a mythological yeah. name. It's, it's completely outside of the norm for what, if there is a norm, especially five years ago when you're getting into this, if there was, yeah. a, if there was a norm, it's outside, it's outside of it now still. There is, yeah. And um, one of the things we, th- we thought about was like, man, if this thing actually explodes, like we don't want to be Main Street Brewing Company or, you know, whatever. Hudson we want, Beer. Yeah, we want it to look good on a chalkboard anywhere. Um, and so that was part of it too. And we just felt like it fit and it's, it, it took maybe five minutes and we we're like, okay, that's it. Move on, pitch the business plan, money came in. And then we, uh, we started the worst 15 months of our life building this place and running out of money like half a dozen times. But I noticed you did a Kickstarter too, right? Yeah. So I, I want to learn more about how do you go from, so, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it sounds like the stars align. You meet the right people, you got the right team, you know what you want to do. You've got a vision. How do you go from there to make it happen? So you're all still working other jobs at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, um, well, Tom was not working another job. He was, uh, I don't want to call it retired. He'd get pissed at me because he's far from that. Exploring. Uh, Yeah, he was, um, he retired from his job and had this time to do the business plan and then help with the build out. Um, Well, he thought he was retired and then he ended up taking an opportunity that a friend gave him and needed some help running a company. So he went to do that and, you know, we started this build out and all three of us were back to employment. Yeah. Um, but I was, luck would have it. yeah, I was traveling a lot and, um, I had the unique opportunity to work not whenever I wanted to, but it was more of a get the job done type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did have some late nights, but I was able to spend time here and a lot of creative time on the computer, getting this, the word out there. And, and, uh, the money came in quick friends and family, pitched them the brewery idea, showed them the numbers and, and that came in. Um, but that's well, great. Yeah, it was, but it was, was it mostly friends and family? You didn't have to go all, to like, uh, Oh, that's awesome. All friends and family. That's a lot more comfortable. Yeah. I know people say don't do business with family and stuff, but that's really your first line. If you, if you're, if you're doing an honest thing, that's the first line. That's, yeah, I think to me, that's more comfortable than having bankers or somebody that doesn't much care. More. It was all friends and family, people that believed in us and it wasn't a lot. So it wasn't, you know, no one was, as far as I know, no one was breaking the bank to, to, you know, put all their eggs in this basket. It Mm -hmm. was just, you know, Hey, if it works great, we'd love to be a part of it, but, um, and good luck to you. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like a, you know, we believe in you don't screw it up. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we started building it every single weekend. The routine was, uh, go to work. If I had to go into the office, um, meet Tom here after work, work till nine, go home. Saturday morning, wake up at 5.30, have my coffee, meet Tom at Home Depot at 5.55, doors open at 6, go in there, spend 30, 40 minutes, get all the supplies, come here, work till 4 or 5 until we can't move anymore, yep. go home, Sunday, same thing, Monday back at work, a couple of days I would work from home, which was using the drill here. Yeah, it's a grind. Yeah, it was, um, and it really humbled me because- um, That's 
lesson one in business though. You, you have to get humble or, or you're just yeah. going to be in your own way. Yeah. And there's this moment where, I mean, not everyone goes through it, but we didn't think we were going to open. And we we're like, I just remember coming in here, looking at Tom, just like this, you know, emotionless face, just walking in so broken. Despair. <laughs> just, I know this sounds bad, but just Tom, what do you, and I was, I would always look to him. Like he was such a good project manager. I was yeah. Like, what do you think we should work on today? I can finish. So he's like, I don't know. Just work on something. You know, we're out of money and like, we're never going to open. And I think, I mean, it, it ended up working out. I mean, we, you'd have these like ups and downs and, um, the ups and downs are what makes it interesting though, because it's not easy. Yeah. It's never easy. Even yeah. if you're starting a small business and you're opening up a brewery with equipment and, and space and, yeah. you know, but it's not, it doesn't matter if it's that or if it's a small studio or if it's a from home business, it's, there's risk. It's never, it's never that easy. So it's never I'm glad easy. you're sharing. Yeah. And I just, it, it brings me back to thinking, holy crap, we just spent eight months like just playing in this 5,000 square foot space that we leased. And someone's going to scoop it up and get to open it up looking all with all of our work behind yeah. us. And I'm like the, you know, the brewing equipment was here, but there was just so much left to do. And then all of a sudden we just were like, you know what, like, what are we doing? Like we had to make this hard push and we just did. And, um, you know, we did get some more money and then we ran the Kickstarter. I saw everybody else was doing these Kickstarters. Is that for, common for breweries? Well, I don't remember. I remember looking on Kickstarter and I don't recall if I saw a lot of breweries doing it at the time. I know a lot have done it. It was just getting, it was really had a momentum going Kickstarter. There were like really cool products you could invest in. Yeah, it was popular. Yeah, and I think I had seen, I know what it was. I was, I was reading this article on, I forget his name. Uh, um, the, the, the guy, this guy used to work for Stone brewing out in um out in uh, california and i was reading this article about how he uh, i think his name's justin or it doesn't matter but he's the guy that started uh modern times in san diego but he was working for stone at the time mm -hmm. and he had this business plan to start a brewery and he went to uh greg cook the owner of stone and pitched it to him and greg said you're absolutely insane i would never open a brewery right now get out of my office or something like that and so this guy is like you know what screw him, I'm going to go open up a brewery. And he ran the most successful Kickstarter campaign. I don't want to, it was either ever mm -hmm. or for breweries ever. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was ever. And it was only 60 something thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like anything now because there's million dollar Kickstarter campaign right there. Um, but he ran this and I'm like, holy crap, if this guy could can do, we do this, that? can we try this? And I looked at his Kickstarter it's just him. With, like, he had somebody that had like a decent camera, but it wasn't anything. It was just him standing in a space being, you know, witty and confident. Yeah. And people gave him a ton of money. Yeah. And all he did was pre-sell merch. It was just a merch pre-sale for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but it, And it was this article about how he did it. I'm like, let's just give it a shot. Like that would give us like a little bit of a confidence boost. And Yeah. And what do you have to lose? Yeah. What do we have to lose? And Kickstarter, I think, gives you everything. If no, you have to hit your goal. I was like, yeah, if we don't hit the goal, it's okay. I mean, we don't have it anyways. And it was only, it was less than, um, I think it was like 3% of the total budget that we raised. I think we raised like 25 grand. So no, it was more than 3%. We spent about almost half a million bucks in this place. So, um, but we were what about a year. Yeah. Yeah. The, the budget was 350. <laughs> of course. Do, do you buy the place or do you lease no, it? No, we, we leased it. Um, and we went through that 350 so fast. Um, and, uh, 
And then I think we got another hundred and then it was just like this last push. Maybe it was four fifty we spent, but I remember like just recording a video, uh, interviewing Tom, interviewing Keith, talking to people about what we were creating, kind of just getting it out there yeah. and putting like some music to it. I'm like, because this is who we are. We love music and putting some art to it. Um, and just, I don't know, I tapped, I had like Final Cut on my laptop, but I'd never really tried to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was familiar with Pro Tools from my music days. Sure. And I was like, this is all just chopping and moving stuff around. I just got to, you know, have a camera. And so we figured it out. We bought like a, you know, junky kind of camera mic and just filmed. I filmed myself talking. I filmed Tom. I filmed Keith, took some cool shots and uh, found a company to print some shirts if they actually got purchased. Right. And uh, we just set it up, and it flew. I couldn't believe it. It's really cool. And I, so I didn't I see it when it was live. It. I saw it uh, just recently looking before I came in here to talk yeah. to you. And I saw that it was a lot, almost all of it was local, too. Like Hudson was oh, way gosh, up yeah. there on who was donating. I thought that was really cool because it was like, when you say Kickstarter, you think like you're asking money from nothing. But it, again, which isn't a bad thing. It just seems like it's a it's a... The ether, right? It's, yeah. it's the internet. It, anybody can be part of it, which is what's powerful about it. But then when I looked at the donors, I thought it was really cool that th- that's what I, I mean. I hope that you guys, if you want to be, are a nationwide success and more. But I think what's also really cool is the local ties, and the, that's what makes it. Um, that's what makes it feel local and yeah. feel you know homish and friendly, and yep. that's what's really cool is that it. it the the newspaper articles about you guys about the expansion about helping Main Street coming along you know the and about the uh, just seeing the Kickstarter I like the fact that you're a positive force in the town that you're in and maybe if you open up fifty more Medusas they'll all be that way in their local communities you know but I think that that's cool because I I don't always see businesses investing in or being a part of what's around them. And I, especially with what you do, it's important. I think it's so important. I mean, we're manufacturing alcohol and selling it, right? You gotta, you gotta really know what you're doing and, and be careful. Uh, I think right I'm on, not, not naming names, right but on there. I just, you have to be mindful of that fact that you're selling a substance, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it has a really good side to it, but it has a really dark side to it. Yep. Um, and, it's it's something that I think requires community support um, to to do well. We don't want to just be some, you know. Well, if nobody comes in the door, you don't do well, right? Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. it's a community, and people have to want to spend time in it and spend their paycheck or leave a part of it. They want yeah. to, they have to come want this to be part of their their fabric, right? And um, do you guys sell your beer outside of here oh, in yeah. stores? Cause, yep. So, but you didn't always, right? We didn't always, um, but. Uh, it's 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 a thing that we're very proud of. No, it's you know, good. It's, it's but there was a time when you didn't, right? <clears throat> no, so we didn't pe- need to. people would have to come here to get the beer, and yeah. it was, so it was it was local, local. Yeah, and when you're doing the tap tap, but when you're when you're running a tap room, I mean, you just it's, you sell as much beer as you possibly can in the tap room because that's that's the life. Straight. That's the margin right mm-hmm. there. It's you, know, you can't you can't compete with that, right? Um, you don't have to can it. You don't have to put it on a truck. You don't have to right. move it. You don't have to have relationships with the store and see if you can get shelf space. And you know, exactly. Just, and and here, we try this back to the Hudson thing. When we first opened, it was just this outpouring of support everywhere and, and um, it, all across town. And, um, and we enjoyed that for two and a half, two and a half, three years of just doing tap room and a little bit of kegs here and there to see, Hey, maybe we can bring some extra people in here, you know, 
this Hudson thing is blowing up and we've brought a lot of people in already from how far do you get people coming in? Um, in it, general, it depends on what we're doing. Uh, some of the events we do, we have people travel for, you know, like an hour or two. Nice. Um, I mean, that's a big draw for a local. Yeah. But watering hole. our, our heaviest visited zip codes. Like if I look at Google analytics for directions, mm-hmm. um, is Boston, the zero one, two, um, and then, uh, and then Hudson, <laughs> I don't know why people look up directions when they're in Hudson, but um, and maybe it's because they've traveled and they're looking it up from within Hudson. But, you know, we're, I think we're, we have a lot to do or a lot more to do if we want to be visited out, you know, as, mm-hmm. or being seen as a New England, you know, landmark or a New England must-see brewery. Um, One of those things is the, you had the beer garden or I, I don't remember how you might have marketed it, but yeah. you had an outdoor space, right? That's yeah. that to me, that's a huge thing that breweries can do to bring people in, especially in the good weather. Right. Yeah. And it was weird because we didn't know how it was going to work. Um, oh, let me, let me phrase. We knew how we wanted it to work, but we didn't really know how it was going to do. Um, it was right next to the, the tap room. So was it just going to cannibalize our customer base and, you know, you know, it's just split the, but what it did was it brought in a completely new set of customers that, I don't know if they'd ever been to Medusa before, but everyone working down at the beer garden, like I have never seen these people before. I believe it. And a lot of them were local. <laughs> so it, it just, it, it showed people that Medusa was more than just this, you know, come into the, I think it opened people's eyes more to what a brewery is. Sure. There were a lot of people that. Or what visited, it can be. Yeah. What it can be. And I think a lot of folks that visited the beer garden and um, maybe I'll take flack for this, but there were folks that were just kind of, you know, not interested. Right. They, they would, they knew Medusa was on main street, whether they were from Hudson, Marlboro, Concord, Sudbury, Clinton, any of those. But maybe they're not beer lovers. They're like, yeah, that's not for me. Right. Or it's too hipster or whatever. And then we open up this cool beer garden. That's got, you know, reggae playing and beach balls. And I don't know what we're going for. We had to make Outdoor. it, we had to do something with mm-hmm. it. And uh, a lot of people stopped by and were like, Hey, this is actually really fun and really chill. And this beer is not bad. And it's not like super expensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe this whole craft beer thing is kind of cool. And we've never really, you know, I don't want to say we don't make craft beer, but we're not, we've never really like pushed that craft beer thing. We just make beer, you know, mm-hmm. and the craft side is just the fact that we are making it smaller. Right. Small batch with yeah. uh, or, labor know, of love. Yeah. And we don't have all the fancy tools, you know, well, but um, the beer garden. Well, you was, do compared to me where I have some garage tools. So true. That, looks, that looks pretty damn fancy back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, it was it was it was really cool to open that up and see it just bring on a completely different customer base and dynamic to the business, and it made a great impact. And nothing bad happened. The town, in, you know, was very open and you know receptive. I know there was some hesitation from the board of selectmen. They they voted it in, I think unanimously. But you could tell like it was like all right, you know, we took a chance on Medusa put enough brewery on main street and that, yep. that's gone well. So these guys, let's give them a, you know, let's they earned them, a chance. Yeah. Let's let them do this thing. Yeah. And it's good for the town, right? If it's uh, something else for people to stay local and spend their time and enjoy, it's going to help the town overall raising revenue and yep. raising. Yeah. That's really cool. And yeah. I took you way ahead, but back that's to right. back to you get the Kickstarter, you get the final um, through that or whatever <clears> you get the final um, funds to go ahead and get this place finished and open the doors right so yeah, then it what's that like i don't know if the kicks uh, to be honest with you i don't even know if i think i don't know if the kickstarter gave us the financial boost to open it i think it was more it was even more a moral boost 
I know that sounds crazy. No, it makes sense. Marketing too. You saw people getting interested. You could see that people want it. Plus people were becoming aware of it before it opened. So yeah. you start to generate demand before yeah. you're even trying to. I remember when I put the video together and we posted the Kickstarter, I was kind of like in a funk, you know, I was like, ah, this is whatever last shot, you know, cause it wasn't just that we needed money to keep it going. We needed, we really needed the moral boost, I think. And seeing just that zero dollar, when you hit, you know, launch campaign and then coming back at night, seeing an inbox full of donation emails and looking at, oh my gosh, we just did $5,000 in wow. five hours. And then, then it was 10 and then it was 15 and then 18 then 19 then 20. And it just kept going and going and going, like, what is going on here? And I just remember seeing all these people saying, can't wait to see Medusa open. Can't wait to have my first beer there. I'm like, geez, guys, what are we doing? Like, let's come on, let's go. Yeah. And the uh, rally cry. Yeah, so we were in here just pounding nails, and I remember my my buddy John helped me finish building the bar. My mom was even screwing stuff in, and nice. everybody just nice. was like, "Let's get this damn thing open." And then January eleventh, so one eleven at one eleven Main Street, two thousand fifteen, we brewed our first batch of beer, which was Moffat the eighty shilling. I'll never forget it. Um, and three months later, we opened, which was pretty cool. How many beers did you open with? Eight. And what? What was it like opening? Like, were you nervous? Were you wondering, is anybody going to come? Like, what did it feel like no, to, we, to know you were opening the doors the first time? We did a, a friends and family on Friday night, and it was surreal. It's just seeing everybody that helped build us, like our good friend Matt, who built all these beautiful mahogany tables out of old school bleacher seats. Cool. Um, and our attorney and our family and just cool people here, but it was not... It was just kind of like, all right, this is normal. This feels really good. And we had some beers with about 50 people, and then we went home. And I couldn't sleep because I knew that the storm was coming. I just knew it. I knew the storm was coming. It was in the paper. Someone took a picture of Tom and I hanging up the sign um, in front of the building the day before, and it was like, Medusa opens tomorrow. And I was just like, I hope we're ready for this. And um, and sure enough, I got here at 8 o'clock started making sure everything was working. We're like, the taps are working. You know, the staff is here. Did you have a full staff ready for opening? Well, I thought we did. It's funny. We opened, I think we had eight people working. Mm -hmm. And we can do now with four people or three people with what we did with eight that day. That's what I was just going to ask. I bet, I bet your efficiency is a lot different. Oh, my God, yeah. Because I had never, I loved, like I was telling you, I loved bars, but did I know how to run one? No. <laughs> right, right. So I've got, you know, a team of people and we hired almost everyone on the team was a beer person, not a bartender. Mm -hmm. So we were all people that enjoyed beer. We're like, how hard can I pulling a faucet and punching right. some buttons on a POSB? Right. We're not making a multi, multi-mixed drink right. or there's no Tom Cruise flipping. Yeah. It's just pouring beer. But right? I'll tell you, man, it's doing it right and doing it well uh, is hard. You get rushed and then the head's too big and you can't pour a beer and then the keg is ticked oh. and people don't know. How to yeah. do everything right but those doors opened and it's when i realized i was just it was like watching a parade of bulls run at you which has happened to me before actually but um that's another story uh it was just like holy shit and this light switch flipped the switch flipped and we went from construction workers to bartenders yeah and just that's cool all day long pouring and pouring and washing glasses and it was wild. I imagine for the first few days, probably hard to even get a chance to talk to people. Yeah, it was. Um, there you were lots check of on something. No, I just I, I I thought I heard this. Oh, is that coming through on the podcast? My I don't son's think so. here with this. 
his day off. So, so I was, we'll get to it. But uh, as everybody, I think, listening understands, part of owning a business is how it impacts and helps and changes your life. And uh, Sully's son is home from school because we live in New England and it snowed and Snow school day. was canceled. So as is part of reality, got to take care of the kid. So he's over here enjoying the podcast with us while he's watching his own games and he's sitting right near us. So that's part of, if you hear <laughs> it, that's part of what's going on in real life. All right. So it's not bothering you. It okay. doesn't bother me at all. Um, but yeah, there people were asking questions and uh, I just didn't know it hit us. I mean, it was crazy. I couldn't sleep for two or three days because, you know, Saturday came and it was like a, oh, uh, it was like a truck hit us. Was it like tunnel vision where you're here, you're pouring beer, you're trying to service everybody? You, like you, you almost can't enjoy what's happening or enjoy a conversation with somebody because all you can think of is um, service, you know, pour beer, give to him, cash out. Just was it, did yeah. it almost feel robotic? It didn't. It felt no? chaotic because it, it wasn't that fluid. It was more. I didn't mean robotic. I meant, me- I, meant I know, I meant I know like exactly mechanical or like rigid. It took a while for us to get rigid. It was tunnel vision, but it was tunnel vision in this chaos. It was like a battle. Mm. I don't mean to make it sound crazy, but it was just so busy and there was no let up. You just had to constantly be pouring beer. It's really great though. There's worse problems. And cleaning and trying to catch up. And like it, it, it was a crash course in how not to run a bar. And um, I think if people were there their first day, our first or our first couple months of opening, and then they come now, they'd see <laughs> how we've learned. But it was a rush and it was an awesome rush. When I think about it, it was just like, wow, we made this monster and now we have to tame it. And um, I think it was, it took us about six months to finally figure out the way that we should flow behind the bar and how it, to, how to run this space. We, mm-hmm. we, we built it, but we didn't know how to exactly use it. how it was going to be used. Yeah. And uh, I think it was maybe six months or a year later, I finally was sitting down here having a beer with Tom, like sitting and just watching everything work and watching people dancing and it was packed. I think we had a line out the door for some event with a doorman, we were at capacity and everybody was laughing, smiling, the music was awesome, the lights were flickering, the beer was perfect and I was just like, holy shit, we made this. it's happening. And uh, that happens every once in a while. I have to to check myself and be like, hey. You should, you need to. Yeah, it took a little bit of luck, I think. Timing was very important. a little luck and a lot of grit. Yeah, a lot of grit because mm-hmm. I don't. I could never describe how hard it was to open this. Yeah, um, no matter how many people I talk to or just how many friends I've got that own businesses, grit is always the number one component. Yeah, and now staying open. You know, you mentioned to me before we hit record that you've had a bus- this one of your businesses for twenty years. Yeah, just blows me away because we're we're getting into year five, and it's. I'm not saying we're doing bad, but it's it's getting more and more challenging. We've got more competition. Uh, you know, you can't make a new beer every week. Um, you can't continuously grow your customer base. You kind of cap out it yep. where it's going to be at. And um, it's, I love it where it's at now because the challenges we're dealing with are very nuanced and very complicated, whether they're financial or expansion, growth, mm-hmm. market challenges, consumer challenges, uh, HR, like all this stuff that comes with running a, you know, a, a sustainable company. Yeah. Because if you just do the full bore, you know, fire hose open, you can't do that forever. It's, it's calmed down. No, you can't do you it know? forever, but you also have to become aware that nothing's ever going to stay the same. No, it's not ever going to stay the same, regardless of what industry you're in, what you do for right. work. It's not, 
it's never going to be the way you opened or the way that it no. started. You have to be, and I think a lot of people, as is normal, they go into it thinking, you know, we, we get over that whole hurdle, we open up, and then that's the business. It is what it is. Yeah. That's not the case at all. Not Basically, at all. you open up, you, the business starts to work, and then you start over. And yeah. what does it have to become? And then exactly. what does it have to become? And what's next? And what's next? And once you realize there's always a what's next, then you can kind of enjoy that ride and manage it. And you can, for me, I like it because there's a bit of wonder. You know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not good at being bored. That, that's how things get ruined for me. So yeah. I own a business. And what, my main one, when you mentioned, is in digital and, and marketing and the creative side of marketing, consulting. And digital doesn't mean what it meant 20 years ago. No. It's very, very Gosh, different. No. And it'll be different next year, you know. Tomorrow. The, yeah, tomorrow. I mean, I'm sitting here with you with a mobile podcast studio. This didn't exist Five years ago, never, yeah. never mind twenty. You know, it's uh, it's just everything changes, and there's new opportunity. There's new ways to be creative. There's new ways to, to to do things. But that's not the only thing new with my business. Everything's new. Everything's new all the time because, you know, if we if we are still doing what we did when we opened, there's there's no market for it because other people that technology has changed people can do stuff on their own now there's a lot of things that you could that seem so simple now that weren't that simple 20 years ago that people couldn't do so yeah. everything has changed i mean facebook has come to life during that 10 year you know the, the, our social in general yeah. which changed everything you know it's 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 i think that's one of the biggest one of the biggest things with owning a business is understanding that it's not fixed it's yeah. gonna it's gonna change that and i think you age with your business. At least I had to, and I had to become more, um, I guess, mature in the way of getting your ego beat because you lose. Not every yeah. decision you make is right. Not everything you do works, and you have to go through some some tough things every once in a while. And those really don't. If you care, they don't leave you. Yeah. You know, so you get humbled, and you get you get a better. And I think the best thing that's ever happened to me is every time I get humbled, I I'm a better version than I was before I did. Not that I'm out, you know seeking it in in a bad way, but no, you you grow from it. If you either grow or you don't, that's up to you as a person. But if you do grow from it, it's that's the stuff. I got more out of that than I ever did business school or anything like that. You know, just more oh, out of gosh, screwing yeah. up and having to deal with it and fix it and face it. And yeah, th that that's been my biggest education yeah and i think building on that part of keeping a sustainable business and by that i mean something that lasts for an unknown amount of time mm -hmm. um not something that's you know headed for closure disaster whatever right is you have to just constantly be trying and failing and trying and yes. failing and and we we do that all the time and it's not just hey let's try this recipe and see if the customers like it we're beyond that now. We're, you know, we're trying and failing in the market. We're trying and failing with even an Instagram post. Did that post work? Mm -hmm. Why did that post have such little impression? Was it the time of day? Was it the photo? Was it the lighting? Mm -hmm. Was it the content? Was it the tags, the hashtag? Like it's, it's little teeny, teeny things that don't matter that much like that. But every time you try and fail, you learn something and you get better and better and better if you're willing to learn. For sure. And yeah, that's just, that's where we're at now at the businesses. It's just hundred little things trying and failing. And now we've got some big things that we're going to try and not fail at yep. because we can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the expansion that that's yeah. a big one that you can't fail yeah. at. Uh, no, no pressure. But yeah, I think that, I think failure it's, it's cliche to say that you have to be able to fail and learn from it. It's cliche, but it's not commonplace. People don't like to fail and they shy away from it and they run away from it. Um, understandably so, right? It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't want to fail and we don't have a fail safe society in America so much. It's no. if you fail, you got to, 
black mark on your record. You know, it's not yeah. it's not as fail safe as you'd think it would be. Where everyone says, "Of course, you got to fail to yeah. to move forward," but I take that um, I take that home with me. And from from babies, I've raised my kids that the way you move forward is failure. Like with whatever they're doing, whether it's learning how to read or uh, playing hockey or snowboarding or, or anything that they're into. Uh, Jiu-jitsu is great for that because you're always going to fail because someone, try to someone is going to be, I'll take you. <clears throat> I need to get some time. I'll, I'll take you. It's fun. It's, it's the best thing because it, it, it's an ego killer, but in, in the most hug friendly, fun way you could ever have your ego killed. Yeah. Cause you have, <laughs> you have no option. Sometimes it's just, you know, and, and it's very real because you find out in five minutes uh, or less Probably less for me. Yeah, well, less for, <laughs> for most people. But anyway, it's very, very fun. I'll take you if you want to go. It's, uh, it's awesome. But yeah, I bring that home with me. And that's, I've, taught, I've been very careful with making my kids understand that a failure is not an embarrassment. It's what you do with the failure. Or you know, if you do nothing with it, it becomes an embarrassment. If you take that failure forward, if you fail forward, then you can do something with that and become better at whatever you were doing. I said, no, you know, they both have people athletes they look up to like, like any kid yeah and, th- and i've gone very carefully explaining that that person didn't just get there it's not it wasn't it wasn't yeah. day one that they were that person you know lebron james isn't lebron james from day one no uh, it's 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 a journey but i say that to say this that my business is a part of my life it's not a nine to five job and that's why I like lessons from the business end up lessons for my kids and for the family and of course when i'm teaching the kids these lessons i'm teaching myself i'm talking to myself and and them you know because yeah. sometimes it's good to I'll, I'll do that too i'll explain something to my kids and i'm like oh that was so good how did i come up with that i need to listen to myself <laughs> yeah you know, maybe, maybe i just learned that while i was talking about yeah, it. once a year i say something that you know i think is good <laughs> i hear you I mean, me too but it it's um that's part of owning a business that I think is it's, it's not that people who work nine to fives don't love their jobs or get consumed by their jobs. They certainly can. And they certainly do. Um, I just think it's, it's really different in those that have stepped out on their own because it's, it's, it falls a hundred percent on you. So I think sometimes the lessons go a little bit deeper. Sometimes yeah. you, you know, you, you think a little bit more about things or you internalize, but you also, you shape it, right. Or it shapes you the mm-hmm. business. So mine is very shaped towards what's important to me. So I would say a large part of my salary is time because I keep a very flexible life in that I'm always at hockey practice. I'm snowboarding with the kids every week. You know, I'm, there's, there's, it's important to me. It's important to work too. I, mean, I do that, but I can work uh, during the day when clients need me, but I can also work at eight o'clock after they've gone to bed. You know, I can do certain things at different places and I can make it work for the way I want to live my life. And I think that's where like you're about to get to in your tale where you've, you're now opened, you, you're, you had a baby, right? Two, in this, yeah. in the story. So you had a baby while, oh, yeah, while, the, while the brewery yep. is opening up. Yeah. Cause you found out she's pregnant, right? When while you were it's about opening to, and then a second one after it opened. Right. So that's, um, not an easy time. That's not a, you know, kick your feet up and relax no. time of life. It's an exciting time for sure. So, I'd let, tell me about that, like the way it affected you going from uh, a, a nine to five. I, I know nothing's nine to five, but you know what I mean? Working for somebody else, punching a clock, doing a job to owning a business and having a family. Like it all happened at, at one time. So you had two major life changes at once. Yeah, it was it was dramatic. Um, I think a lot of it is comes from realizing that you started something 
and you have to keep it alive now. And I mean, I'm not comparing a business to a life form, but you know, when you, when you have your first child, it's this connection that you have with it. Um, the woman does all the work to get it there, but now it's your job to work with, you know, your, your, your spouse to raise this child. Mm. And that's kind of how it is with the business. I have, it's my job to work with my partners. With the partners, right? Yeah. To, to keep this thing growing. Um, and you know, there's some humbling stuff where, you know, when you run payroll and you're actually paying yeah. people and I had an employee last year buy a house and it's like, Oh my gosh, like can't screw this up that, for the that's guy. A, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And like you, it, it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it, there's that whole side to it. You know, the, the responsible for other sides mm-hmm. and then you start consuming the, the, um, you know, the premise that you're completely completely responsible for your own future now yeah uh if if you have a bad day at work or make some poor decisions every single person's affected even if they don't know it Mm -hmm. and it's it's just not like where if you go into a job and uh, i'm gonna do a 50 percent output day today close your door and just keep your head down yeah like you're still gonna get paid the company's probably still going to generate almost the same revenue. Mm-hmm. It'd take a long time for that to be realized. But here, like every little teeny thing has an effect. Yep. And then when you start thinking about, oh, uh, how am I going to retire? You know, and, you know, what are, what's the end game mm-hmm. here? Um, that can't be a tap room. You know, I can't rely on this being open forever. Uh, I don't know if I want to, you know, is it just, just beer? Is that my, my life? And these are the things you think about how, how do we, how do I keep, you know, I want to have a, an enjoyable life and, um, I am, but it's, that's, that's one of the things you think about all the time is yeah. you created this thing, but how do you mold it to work for you as mm-hmm. well as provide a career and successful opportunities for other people? And it's not just about you anymore. Cause I think when you're a lot of time when you're at a job, it's just, you're, it's just about you and you're just getting your check, yeah you know? Um, and that's how I was a lot, you know, and Sometimes it's cool to participate in big projects, big sales wins, whatever. But at the end of the day, you're still going home and, you know, you have different things you do, but this is all I do. Right. And there's always reminders in the, if you work for a big corporation, there's always reminders that you can be replaced. Oh, there's yeah. A, you know, that's, that's constantly weighing on you that, you know, yeah. they don't. Well, we, my partners I, and I, I be joke gone with tomorrow. each other all the time that we can replace each other. <laughs> uh, but that's really great that you guys work well together too. I've had, so my, my business is just, is me running it. You know, I, I was the lone founder, but I've had other businesses in the past that were partnerships. Some good, some bad. Yeah. So, you know, some were great and they, through the tenure of the business, they were awesome. And some were just bad and they were bad from, they didn't start bad, but they got bad pretty quick. And sometimes there's people you're not going to work well with. And you guys yeah. seemed like you met under lucky circumstances and yeah. it seems like it's still going well. I mean, you're expanding. I want to hear more about that. That's, a, that's huge, right? Yeah. The expansion. It's huge. It's a very taxing thing. And it, I don't know if it's luck, but just the three of us have the right mindset. The, we're all aligned, but we're all different enough, and we stay in our lanes, and we don't have any problems as a partnership. We work through our issues. We work through our problems um, at, at the business, and all three of us you know, want the same things. You know, We want to grow this thing as far as we can get it, yep. that, and, and we have those ideas in mind. We don't want to – we're not looking to, to grow this thing to be a – unsustainable growth model where it's just there's no end and mm-hmm. costs go up and margins go down and before you know it you know you've got your commodity 
yeah, it's 300 people, 400 person company. And you don't know the person that was hired yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't want to go there. Um, so our, our plans really are, we, we've really kind of, um, embrace the fact that we are a lifestyle company, I think. And that's something that we, and by that, I mean, we want to provide a brand and a culture to people that, um, you know, creates a, you know, what am I trying to say here? We, we want to project this culture that has a brand that sort of, you know, is, is encapsulates it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, have a, you know, a a lifestyle that our employees can enjoy working here. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, working at a brewery can be rigorous. It's long hours. It's laborious. Physical too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very physical. Um, whether you're, you know, moving kegs or 50, throwing 55 pound grains of bag mm-hmm. by the pallet, you know, up on a rack or you're pulling an eight hour bartending shift that's equivalent to running like probably seven miles or something while serving beer. Yeah. It takes a lot. And, um, you know, we're doing well here, but our next stage I think is really going to define us as that lifestyle company. We're not, we're capping ourselves at a certain amount of beer we're going to make so that we're not constantly shooting for the stars. Not always in the chase. Yeah. Everything's comfortable and well paced. And by the time we get to that end goal, it's, it's, we'll have another, a couple, I mean, you have to get to your goal before you realize what your next ones are. Sure, We've got course. a whole bunch of other things we're thinking about, and we kind of need to see where the company goes with this next stage. But. Is the beer garden coming back? Is that going to be a fixture for seasonal thing, or does the expansion get in the way of that? You yeah. know, how, how does that come together? The, the beer garden is where the expansion is. That's what I thought. Going. Yeah, so um, we figured, uh, I mean, we've hit, so building this place was incredibly difficult, like I said, because we did all the the work, the hard hard work ourselves, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, you know, the construction, most of it and the planning, but this, this project, um, you know, planning an $8 million project is not something I've ever done. Um, but we've, we've read a lot, we've researched a lot and we've taken every step of it very carefully. We've had, you know, another part of the timing of this was we were the only taproom around for three years. Mm-hmm. And so we have a really good head start. I don't think you can do what we're about to do now. Yeah. I really don't. Um, it's just, it's too much to get to there. And so we've, we've had a, we've had a real nice head start and we realized that, you know, we either need to seize the opportunity that we had with our timing of our opening and mm-hmm. then that massive honeymoon phase, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, and, and capitalize on it and grow the brand. People want it, but there's so many tap rooms right now. You can't succeed off of just tap rooms. No, unless you were um, to shrink back down. Like, right, you could be a yeah. small business that um, can get by on the tap room, but you'd have to, everything would have to shrink. Well, one thing we've noticed, Adam, is that just with all the tap rooms and then this new ability to can your beer, you know, if you look at our mar- what our margins were when we opened, they're drastically different than what they are now. Are they? I mean, margins have gone way down. Labor goes up. Margins go down. I mean, it's, it's, it's more... What brings ex- them down? Well, when you're canning beer now, like we've... As soon as we started offering canned beer, we didn't anticipate our growler sales dropping as fast as they did. We thought it would be more gradual. So, growlers, so options led to a smaller margin because yeah, and just the cans are expensive. Right. Right. It's uh, it's not just buying the hard materials. It's we're paying a team to show up and set up a canning line here. And yeah. And the canning lines are expensive themselves and then running yeah. them. And there, I was talking to a brewery owner a couple of years ago who runs a much bigger facility than us. And he said, you know what the worst thing I realized 
ever is. And I was like, what? He's like, I could have bought three canning lines in the amount of money I've spent paying people to can our beer here. <laughs> and uh, so we've had to deal with that. It's, it's fine. I mean, we're doing great, but we, it's just, it's a different game now. You've got a can, you've got to have this awesome experience for everybody. And um, so what we're doing is we're trying to take that back in house and, I feel that there's a there's a segment of the market that only a few breweries can tap into, and it's not the national size or mm-hmm. even what the Brewers Association calls a regional size, but it's that brewery that can hit every account in Massachusetts that wants its beer, and we can't even touch that right now. Um, and we'll have the ability to, to go throughout New England, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, if the markets have the demand. Are you feeling the demand? So you, yeah, I, mean, yeah, we, I imagine. We love... The reception we get when we're in Maine, um, we love the whole vibe and everything going on in New York. I'm not sure what that market's going to be doing when we're done, but um, these are all options open to us. And, and our expansion is going to allow us the flexibility of we could just stay in Massachusetts if we want. Mm-hmm. You could move to other states. You know, we have all the options and it's capped at a certain amount where we don't have to do them all. Um, and it, it's hard to describe that, but we just... It, the beers, the margins are the margins. And, mm-hmm. and if we can just sell it all in Massachusetts, that's great. But sure. Have a lot of backup, you know. So what's the expansion going to be? It's not just canning, right? It's going to be heavily um, weighted towards, yeah, packaging and canning. Um, but, of course, we also... That's going to be a pretty big operation then. Because, I mean, I've just I've toured other breweries that have their own canning operations, but they're probably a lot smaller than what you're doing because they... You know, they'll fit in a space like what you have here as opposed to building a whole new yeah. giant facility. So this facility, we worked with a, um, an incredibly talented team at Austin Design. Um, they did the, the, we had first heard about them through um, uh, the construction of the new Alchemist in Stowe. Mm. Um, and seeing that facility, seeing the layout, the, the operational flow mixed with kind of architectural artistry, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of drawn to them because we said, you know, we've got this opportunity to expand right next to our tap room. Right. It's uncanny. Uncanny. The yeah, canning, I did yeah. not mean that as a yeah. pun. But, but yeah. it, it was just, uh, you know, the land was available. It's the last piece of undeveloped property in Hudson. And um, so we it said, happens to be yeah. right, right here. Yeah. And it's the same thing as with building a tap room on Main Street. We couldn't just make it look like it was in a warehouse. It, it, it's going to be, it's practically on main street. Mm-hmm. We've committed to growing the town of Hudson. I don't want to stop this wave that it's, it's been experiencing. So we've, I, I don't want to say we're spending double than what we could, but it's a lot more expensive to build it on the land. We're building it on. And in the current circumstances, it's yep. not, you know, off in the woods somewhere right? on a ton of land. It's on a very constrained property with downtown water, water on one side streets on the other it's urban i mean it's not conventional and it's not people would say it's not the smartest move but what we're trying to do is really landmark ourselves here Mm -hmm. or or anchor ourselves as a landmark here well and having an anchor you know for the business that's something that i think can go a long way because as beers age if there's if there's nothing but a label to it or or a flash then i think they come and go yeah and beers that have histories or beers that have you know uh a a soul behind them. It sounds a little too deep, but you know what I mean? Where there's something behind I, it, there's something to it. They, they tend to stick around longer because people identify with them. Yeah. Even our, if they've never been here. Yeah, exactly. And, and our, you know, laser cat, our Imperial IPA, it's just that we can't make enough of it. Um, and we've even started brewing it in Boston at Dorchester right now, just to, no, I don't want to say test that market. Cause we've already done that, but 
feed it mm-hmm. um, before we, you know, get our facility going. And um, that's our plan is just we're, we're going to, this, this tap room will remain operating, you know, the 15 to 20 different options. Um, and then the production facility is going to respond to that brand demand out in the market. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be 15 options, obviously. It'll be, you know, careful, carefully planned, branded, marketable products that we can get out there consistently. So are you adding a lot more brewing capability as well as canning? Or is it you oh, can do plenty here and you just... You no, just this, this will just basically... Um, I don't want to say we're going to pull capacity away from here, but this is, um, this is just going to brew beer for here. Um, and then over there, it's a completely new brewing setup. I, at the time, I believe it's going to be the most efficient brewery in the Northeast, just by the way of the way that the brew house works and how efficient it will be through the design. Yeah. Through the design and how the, the, um, the engineering of the brew house itself, it's a mash filtration system. So we're actually like, we don't mill the, the grain into uh we don't like crush the grain we're actually milling it into a powder mm-hmm. uh, and getting a hundred percent extraction um so we're, it's a completely efficient process where we then press the mash to get all the liquid out as mm-hmm. opposed to just draining it basically through a, a strainer right um so that will save us a ton of labor a ton of cost and allow a very small brew house which is people look at that land and say how are you guys going to brew that much beer there well we can turn our brew house three times a day in that amount of time that it would take a normal conventional brew house to turn twice. So you can add one whole shift. To yeah. Everyone. So yeah. it's a 30 barrel system, you know, a 45 barrel system, it would take 13 hours, 14 hours or so, depending on how it's set up to brew 90 barrels, two turns where ours can brew 30 barrel batches. And I think, I think the breakdown is it's like eight hours or seven hours for the first one. And then, no, I think it's five hours, four hours, and three hours. It gets quicker each turn. That's cool. Um, just because of the way the system works. But I could be saying this wrong because I'm not the, the brewer. Yeah, I understand. Um, but it's efficient. We've seen the system. We've played with it at other breweries. And, and um, the point is to, to build something that's uh, not labor-intensive for our yeah. team, can pump out a ton of beer, doesn't have a massive amount of cold storage. Cold storage exists. People want your beer, they're going to buy it. Yeah. So we're going to brew beer. It's going to go out the door. We do have cold storage, but we're not planning on a warehouse. You're not going to hold it. Right. Yeah. If the demand's not there, we're not making it. And the whole system, the business model is designed to survive off of half the capacity. The so. equipment's got to have come a long way since you even built the first, this taproom part, right? Yeah. I mean, what's in here is kind of like a glorified homebrew setup. It's got a cool control panel and everything, but we're still doing a lot by hand. The new system is all solenoid controlled, computer controlled, but from like an iPad, you walk around, you know. I got to imagine they are because they've gone for, I forget the numbers you said, but however many breweries there were five years ago to how many there are now. So someone's got to be filling the, the demand to, to make the beer, right? There's got to oh, be yeah. some pretty good innovation happening. Yeah. On and that side. you know, with so many breweries, the, the supply chain is, I don't want to say shrinking, but it, everything's getting more expensive. Grains are more expensive. Hops are more expensive. Contracts are harder to get. Raw ingredients are just more difficult to deal with financially and consistently. Mm. Um, so having a, a more efficient technology to process them into a product can really help you, help your bottom line. So yeah. we're, we're spending a lot more on the system, but it pays us back in a year on labor and raw ingredients. That's cool. Was, was the expansion into canning and all that, was that part of the plan from the get-go? No. Like I said, originally you guys just sold the beer here, right? So that was one of those met our goal What's next? Yeah, kind of? I mean, we, we hit our five-year mark of our business plan, I think, in three years. So we're like, okay, this is doing really well, but 
we know what's coming. We know the wave of tap rooms is coming. The you know you can open a brewery now for a couple hundred grand, mm-hmm. you know, and it will work. So we knew this wave was coming. We're not going to enjoy these these numbers forever. Like, what's the next step? And do we do we react, or do we just sit there? You know, we we built this whole thing, and people want the beer. We we've played around with the distributor, and you know, we can barely give them what they're asking for. And yeah. we know the market's out there, and um, just kind of researching our position, our product quality, our product branding and everything. And then looking at what that market was doing, like I said before, there's a small spot where there's just only a few breweries that compete. So you got the whole taproom scene, right? And we're all competing with each other, mm-hmm. but it's a fun thing. Right. But then there's a the segment above where you've got your Harpoon, Sierra Nevada, Boston beer. They, they can hit any state they want. They're making a ton of beer. They're yep. contract brewing. But there's this other little pocket of breweries there where you have to make enough beer to make your distributor happy and be a top brand for them so that they bother with you yeah exactly but they don't want to do that with these tap rooms but they also don't want to like it's 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 like it's being just big enough to still be cool because you're still so involved in that product but it's big enough to work with a good partner Mm -hmm. where they can get your beer out consistently to accounts that what like and what we're seeing now is the, the liquor stores, the bars, even the, the venues, the stadiums, everything, they're, they're getting sick and tired of this rotation nation thing where everybody's getting the small, you know, five-gallon kegs. They're like, God, this is just, I am spending so much time. He's like, I, I must have spent, you know, people probably spend half their labor costs in a, in a beer bar buyer sitting in front of a computer trying to figure out what to order for the bar next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the liquor store owners we talked to, the new ones, they're fine with it. But the ones that have been in the game for a while, like, this shit has to end. Like, So I feel the market is demanding a brewery that can respond with consistent, stable products and a brand they can recognize and depend on. Mm-hmm. And if people want the rotation, they just go to the brewery now. Yeah, that's a, yeah for sure. Definitely, right? And, the, and that's become a part of the, the brewery's soul is, is having that tap room where people can go and, and, and touch and yep. feel it and enjoy exactly it. Right. it. But there has to be a balance that, that you've got to work on to, have, to be cool while being a mature enough business that you can meet demand, you can be reliable to your suppliers. I mean, exactly what you're saying. Because you see other beers that were once craft beers that now people tend to roll their eyes at or it's just not cool enough. It doesn't mean their beer's not delicious. It doesn't, it doesn't even mean they're not innovating. It's just, the, the, it's like in other, in other worlds where coolness is a big factor. Like, and it's, that's, it's a big one in beer, right? Yeah, to have your is. reputation. So it's, you said you were a skater before, so was I. Well, that's never very, very good. <laughs> there's like a street culture or in snowboarding, there's, there's a culture of cool, right? Yeah. Where Burton is an awesome company. But it's not a cool company to the to the snowboarder kids nowadays. You know, they they have the number one riders in the world. They do great in the Olympics. They make great equipment. They, uh, by all intents and purposes, Burton is awesome. Yeah, but people don't. But they they lost the coolness. It's like buying they a Toyota. Yeah, exactly. Although the Super is pretty sweet. It, it is, is the new one. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Although the new Teslas are going to kill everything. Yeah. So I just it's hard to. Yeah. It's hard. I'm still. I love cars. I like, and, and yeah, the new Supra is really cool. The new Corvette's pretty badass, and I don't like Corvettes, but the new one is, it's, it's an animal. Yeah, it's an absolute monster. It's the last, it's the dying breath of the combustion engine, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's mean, and it's, there's a lot of fury behind it. I think and, we'll see the best, 
the best muscle come out in the next 10 years as it just fizzles. Yeah. And it's a sad thing because I, I love the sound of a, oh a V8 God, yeah. or, or even a 10, but just, just the, you know, that lumpy, throaty, mean, oh, yeah. ferocious yep. explosion. But at the same time, the, like the new Tesla, it, they already have cars to do 0 to 60 in 2.8, 2. 2.6. Like, it's not even real numbers. It's fake. I know. It's, it's, it's fake, happen. but they do it. Now they've got that new pickup truck coming out that'll do zero to pickup truck, do zero to 60 in under three seconds. Yeah. And like, like what? Power a whole job site. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even make sense. You know, know. it's awesome. It's, I, I, I love, I love what's happening and in, in whole, cars right now. That's the whole reason why we're doing the expansion project so I can get a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good, yeah. And maybe wrap the Tesla in Medusa yeah. uh, marketing. And then, All right. Then, so maybe we will do that. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Super cool. But, uh, the cool factor, right? Um, uh, you, you mentioned Burton snowboards and, you know, the, the culture of like, you know, certain snowboarders have a draw to them. Mm-hmm. What is he buying? You know, what equipment he, is he using? Um, where is he boarding? You know, like, right. Um, and, and uh, how can I look like him? How can I? Yeah. Yeah. And I think breweries have a lot of similarities to that where you can't just make good beer anymore. It's, it's, and I don't want to say this the wrong way. It's not just about the beer because everybody's making good beer. Right. There's, and you're going to see if you don't make good beer, you're done. Yeah. And you're not going to survive. But now it's, it's, now it's the price of entry. You have to have kick-ass beer because yeah. the whole, every liquor store you go yeah. to is full of delicious yeah. beer. And by that, I mean, Massachusetts has reached that point. Um, I think, you know, if, I'd love to just go move out to Wyoming or something and open a brewery. It would kick ass. Yeah. But, although maybe they have some great breweries now, but um I feel that the brewery has to have the full package now and being a brewer is like being in a rock band mm-hmm. like, or a band, you know, you have to have branding an image, a uniqueness to you. People have to not necessarily sing along with you, but drink your product mm-hmm. and embrace what you do. Yeah. And embracing and, what you do comes to, <clears throat> comes with that whole, the coolness, but also the quality where I just speaking from my own experience, you know, as a person who likes to drink beer, yeah. I, if I'm in a liquor store, I will buy brands. I like to experiment, but at the same time, if I'm having people over and I want to make sure everyone just enjoys the beer, I'll either buy beer from a brewery that I like, like usually it's local cause it's a place I've been to sat at, had the beer and I know you're going to get good beer out of it. Or I'll buy a brand I know. Like you mentioned, the harpoons, the, the people out there that make good beer, but you know exactly what you're buying. Because a lot of it, the, the shelves have become full of a lot of beer, right? And a lot of them have awesome cans and they look really cool, but there's the unknown. And right. I think a lot of the beers that don't have a tap room or don't have that root that we were talking about earlier, there's, they're an unknown. They're an unknown until, until you buy it. So it's great to try it once in a while, but if you're having 30 people over and you want to make sure you have good beer, then you're buying beer you know is good. You, yeah, already, you already exactly, know. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's like, you guys have that where you, I, I, I already know your beer is going to be good. I would buy one that I haven't had because I've been here a number of times and every time that. I've had good beer. You know, it's yeah. just, it's a, it's a reliability thing. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge, it, it's one of those things you have to nail if you want to grow is you have to have a consistent product, you know, or my uncle, who's a great businessman, I was just on a trip with him, and he, he, he laid out three things that a business has to be. Um, so I wrote them down, I'll have to tell you. But one of them is, like, part of the product. And, um, yeah, that's, I think we've, we've nailed that down, and we're ready for the next step. Mm-hmm. And, and I think our next step is not necessarily making more beer. It's growing this culture and the brand. You know, and I, it's just, I see Medusa as a brewery that 
not only has a great beer and, and a great experience here, but we want to get that experience out. Yeah. Whether that's, we need the volume to be able to do that. So we need a bigger group of people to be drinking our beer across Massachusetts um, or New England because some of the stuff that we want to do, we need that bigger fan base. In. And how are you going to do that? Like, are you going to start looking into pop-up locations? And I've seen a lot of breweries doing that where they, they set up shop in, uh, you know, a, another town or another city and they have a semi-permanent location where they basically expose people to the culture and the beer. Yeah. But it's not, um, it's not a permanent location or a new building or is that... Is that on your radar? Is that I think do you see that happening? Pop ups are great for you know quick bursts of revenue. Um, I just don't see them as a sustainable way to, um, you know, rely on or something you can't rely on mm -hmm. you know, all the time because you're constantly dealing with local authority. Like so, if you do a pop up in Boston, there's so many things you have to get. You know, so many check boxes you have to do, and so many insurance things, and so many licensing things. Or if you want to do a pop up somewhere else, it's you know, maybe you could normalize it though, right? Maybe if you could create like a little coalition of your five favorite breweries to work with, yeah. And then you hire someone in that coalition to be the the interface between whatever locations you want to go through. Yeah. That way you could start to, and I'm talking out of turn here. I have no idea, but you could start to do pop ups, but they're consistent, and you're in control of them, right? And you're controlling mm -hmm. the different players, and that way, because I what I see when I see a pop up, I see great exposure for people who don't know the brand yet, who don't know what what it might be have never been to the tap room like in boston and maybe they never made the trip out to here but they can have the beer you can have some of your staff as part of the rotation there right so they can get a feel they can talk to people they can they can get a little feel for what the brand means that we we're talking about as opposed to just just the beer yeah so i guess i didn't answer your question the right way because what you're asking is is that's a yes answer that the what i was thinking of was more you know putting together a $100,000 beer trailer, driving it into Boston and, you know, just trying to get a pop-up beer garden going. The beer gardens are cool, but there's so many of them. It's already become something that, unless you do it really well, like if, you know, like a night shift, they have an amazing beer garden program and they crush it. They know the locations, they get first dibs or they, not necessarily first dibs, but they've, they've done the homework and they can mm -hmm. operate it well. Um, and that's not something I, I don't think we'd be interested in, in like pursuing. But uh, where I see us doing are large, big, you know, pop-up Medusa experiences, which exactly what you were just saying. Like, um, and we have some things in the works. I don't want to. Sure. I will, I'll talk to you about afterwards. Okay. But just some ideas where you, you bring this whole experience somewhere. Yeah. And what is that? You know, it's, it's the art. It is the music. Music, the music, music, music is huge, um, and then the beer is just there as like the base layer, um, and and that's something the music can really tie the culture together. Oh, yeah. You know, bring all the people. Yeah, and we've just been killing it here with the music, and we're starting to realize that hey, you know, when we were talking before about failures and trying new things. We're like, mm -hmm. we keep trying new things with the music, and it seems to be working. Um, not necessarily just picking good music, but we're starting to realize a direction to go in, in terms of integrating our brand with particular artists, well, that's styles cool. of music and music scenes and where there's holes for us to fill and partner with. Yeah. It's a very comp, not comp complex, but it's just a, it's kind of a cool thing that, um, Mike Melendez is, is someone that's worked here basically since day one. He like reached out to me when we opened and said, Hey, I want to open an open mic. And, um, 
I said, sure. And that grew into him booking every band we have. And he and I just, we have some really good ideas for growing this outward. Well, that's a know? real evolution of the brand too, because it's going outside of beer and you're getting into culture. That's, that's really cool. That's a cool way to, and yeah. it gives you some of that unknown, gives you some of the butterflies in the stomach, but like yeah. you know, where, where it might end up, you don't know, but it's really. Because well, if you look at like the culture outside of, we're so focused on breweries are cool because they have cool tap rooms. But if you look at some of the more established breweries in the country, like look at Red Hook, you know, and I don't even know if anyone knows, but they host one of the largest criterium races for cycling ever. And they started it with Red Hook, but it goes all around the globe now. And it's this massive, massive cycling race. Um, you know, uh, Harpoon does some awesome events right downtown. Their brewery in Vermont is awesome. I don't know if you've been yeah, up there. Windsor. Yeah, that's a great it spot. Cool. That, I mean, the kids love it. There's so much to do. It's, it's a, that's a really, really great spot. That makes Harpoon feel small. Yeah, it does. And um, I just think that's kind of like the next level if you want to, you have to create something that's beyond the beer, yeah. I guess. I don't know how to say it, but it's, you know, it, there are certain products, right? Like, um, you know, the, these headphones are really nice, right? Mm-hmm. Or this, this pod mic, they make great mics and great equipment, but no one gathers around and parties about it. We just, no. we use the product. Right, it's a tool. And you're like, that tool's great. Right. Um, or, I can rely on it. It's good. Yeah. Or and when it comes to food, people consume the food and then it's like, oh, that was a really great steak or that was a really, you know, you know, really fresh broccoli. I don't yeah. know, whatever you want to say. Like, right. But you consume the food, it does its job and it energizes you. But beer, for some reason, beer, any kind of spirit, but it like it has this whole other thing to it. It's, you know, it's, it's a social beverage. Yep. It's consumed at sporting events, at concerts, um, you know, at the end of the day or sitting down to meet someone for the first time or by yourself. To th- it's just this thing that we do as a culture. My and two favorite aspects of beer are being together with friends and, you know, cheersing that first beer or after a hot summer day and you like, you mow your lawn. Cracking yeah. a beer, like those are those two things are so rewarding, and, right. and there's many other times I like beer too. But yeah, well, the, those two seem to be like commercial worthy, you know. Yeah, there's always something fun with involved with beer. It's not yeah. like, all right, I'm going to have this beer and you know, uh, you know, shave or you know, that, I guess <laughs> shaving is kind of enjoyable. But I, I don't know, you know what I'm trying to I say. Do, it's I like, do. I'm going to have this beer in vacuum. At yeah, the same it's a time. it's a positive. It's a for at least most yeah. people on, on the way it they experience be, yeah. it. And I think that. Um, I could be way out of turn here, but I think that in the craft brewing world, you get a lot of people that enjoy responsibly. I think the scale is tipped versus other types of bars and other types of drink where there's, there's good and there's some, some real you know, responsibility or worries or things that come along with the bad sides of alcohol because they're very clearly there. They, complete, they exist. completely agree with but you. But you don't see a lot here. Like we've never been at a brewery. I'm sure it happens, but... But just I've been to millions of bars and seen fights or problems or, or just people acting ridiculous. I've never seen it at a brewery. No. I mean, we've had some issues here, but uh, it's very seldom. It's not a drunk community. It's a no. community that likes to have <clears throat> some drinks. No, when I think about how many unique customers come through here per year and how many problems we have, it's, it's, it's I mean, fractions of a percent. Yeah, it's really cool. It Cause, is because there's there's fractions of a percent problems in every business. Yeah, you get but there's, there's certain times there's just assholes that come in. Yeah, and if we were operating, you know, a you know a bar serving some swill or two, you know, five dollar pitchers downtown somewhere, uh, probably a whole different story. You know. Yeah, yeah, but, I think it is. But I think it, it's it, it's a you know it's a more expensive product because it's not cheap to make. Mm-hmm. Um, beer is obviously a 
you know, economy of scale thing and uh, where we're located and where most breweries are located, the cost of the equipment, the size, I mean, it's just, you have to charge more. So people drink less and, you know, we're able to experiment with, you know, different types of beer. And a lot of them are higher alcohol than mm-hmm. your typical 4% light lager, you know? So right. as long as the consumer knows what they're drinking and what's in their wallet. Yeah. And they're interested it in control exploring. Itself. You know, they're interested in exploring <clears throat> some, some new stuff to drink. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're at an hour and a half. So I want to be oh, res- really? respectful of your time. I mean, I got all day, but I, I don't want, I know you've got a kid here out of school and you got business and a brewery to, to get ready to open the doors. So, um, can we do this again sometime? You have a we totally good time. Can. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm, I'm having a great time. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm not in a rush. If you have anything else you want to talk about or say, um, then I'm I'm happy to hang out. But if you want to call it there, we can get back to it's regular up to you. day. It's up to you. I I've got a little bit of time. I could go another 15, 20 minutes if you want. Yeah. All right. Then I would like to. I, I mean, basically, one thing I'd love to hear is now that you own a business and you're operating it. If you look back at lessons you've learned, things that have humbled you, like what caught you off guard? What's a I didn't see that coming sort of business lesson that you, that you've learned. Um, that is a, that's a great question. It was harder than you thought. You know what I mean? For me, it was people. It's always been people. People are harder than I thought. Yeah. Um, off the bat, uh, one of the hardest things is if you have a business that has a team, the hardest thing ever, I think, in running a business is a staff. And, and, and it, it's not that the staff or your, your team um, is, is an issue or that they have problems, but you're, you're bringing a group of people together. Yeah, and they're humans. And they're humans. They're all fluid. And, and you are one of them. Yep. And you have to deal with everything that they have going on and want to do mm-hmm. and their ideas and listening to their ideas and then also integrating like I try to always consider myself one of the team, you know, not just the owner. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's really challenging trying to make, you know, we built this, it was three, three people and our friends and family listening to us getting this thing open. But mm-hmm. now it's, you know, almost 20 people working together to mm-hmm. operate it and we have to all work together. And that's been super challenging because I didn't have a ton of experience with it. I mean, I'd interviewed people and I was in charge of a few people on a team one time, but we were all kind of self-sufficient. And, you know, this these guys are all growing with us too. I don't have someone that I took over for and I know, you know, at least if I do these things, it will work. Right. I'm figuring this out with them. And one of the challenges I think I, I have or the hardest thing is watching them watch me struggle. You know, if, I have, if I'm trying to figure something out and mm-hmm. I'm trying things with the team yep. and it fails, they all know. Yep. And, um, and it's a humbling moment, but that's empowering for them too, to, yeah. s- to see that there's, you know, things are moving. There's a lot of moving parts. This is an evolution. This yeah. isn't just a thing. You're not plugged into it. Right. And I think it goes the same way with the people too, right? You said you, you've mentioned you have very low turnover and people work here for a long time, but those people are evolving too. So the, that person and the needs that they bring to the table or what's happening outside of their life that comes in to work with them different probably after three years you know there's different needs like you mentioned someone was just buying a house that's that's new that's different that's big that and that that puts a different flavor into that relationship that's why people have always been the most more complex than i thought i guess i just didn't go that deep thinking about what employees meant or what not that they weren't important just how complex it would be yeah and i you know i've spoken to many business owners and i i don't want to say this the wrong way but i breweries are always kind of like 
put with the restaurant scene, I feel, because it's food and beverage. Mm -hmm. And a lot of restaurants, almost most of them that I talk to, it just doesn't work the same way. Like it's such high turnover and employees are resources. They come in, there's a job to do, whether it's prep, cook, serve, whatever. Yep. Here's the job. Here's what you need to know. This is how we expect you to act. Get it done. Yep. And if it doesn't work out, you're gone because there's a line of people that take the job because it's just a revolving door job. And that's not what this is here. It's not that at all. And, um, it's just been, it's, it's hard to find people that fit into this. Yeah. And, Cause you'd feel it if it was a revolving door, the people serving the beer, they have to actually be interested in beer. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, I just feel like we have more of a family here and I don't know if that's just the way that we've been running it, but that's why we don't have high turnover, high turnover. I feel it's just, it's a good place. Um, people respect each other here. We're all here to get the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have people don't call out, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I feel like I shouldn't be talking about this because it could take a turn, but it's, it's <laughs> taken a long time to get there. Yeah. And, um, and I think everybody knows that we're on the cusp of something really cool here. And everybody's like, whether they're, they want to be a part in designing it or, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see, all right, what's our role in this? Right. And like what's going to happen? Figuring it out, right? Yeah, Where, yeah. Where's it going to go and how am I going to yeah. have my piece play like my this. role? We're, we're designing this new thing to, to, to bring the business into a completely new market while staying small. Yeah. Um, and that's been, that's that dance that fascinates me. It's it's gotta be difficult, challenging to design it and then to operate it. You can't just say how it's going to work because I've never done it. Right. You don't know, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's like kind of like this, let's open it and see. But at the same time, I don't want our bank to listen to that. (laughs) Um, it's more like we know the demand is there. It's just the, all the little jobs that have to get done to, to make it happen are, are there. I just don't know exactly what they are. And we're, yeah. And as soon as they're done, new ones are going <clears> to <throat> pop up. Exactly. I haven't yeah. thought of yet. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of all excited to see this come together and, and then how this whole scene will evolve with more exposure and mm-hmm. the ability to pull off stunts, uh, bigger stunts elsewhere. And um, so it's, it's, it's an exciting time, but it's, I feel like things are calm right now getting ready to the go. calm before the next storm pretty much the, the next storm will be really the construction right and and getting ready to to feed that demand in, in that new the new structure there's going to be sitting area there too is that right yep, we're, we're planning to have um it's i mean it's small i mean it's actually if you want to get a feel for the size go visit the alchemist in stowe it's the same footprint almost almost the same length good and, beer yeah almost the same length and width um similar setup not a ton of on-site storage, um, you know. Just efficiency. Efficiency, specifically capped volume for beer production. It's downtown. It's not, you know, it's not in Stowe, but it's downtown. So we uh, we have incorporated a small, you know, retail area in the front so you can walk in there and buy packaged beer without having to deal with a bar. That's cool. You know, we've, we, we sell our beer here out of a cooler, but I hate how it's set up. I wish we could offer a better experience for the customer. But we're just, we're not designed for this. This is kind of starting to be piecemealed you know yeah but that's nice now you'll add on and you can have you can segment it somewhat so you can keep it optimized for what you want it to be one's a tap room and one's the yeah, brewery yeah and and making this try to be a production facility for canning like i was talking about an hour ago about margins it's just not what we were designed to do we have seven barrel and 15 barrel tanks and like our minimum runs are 30 mm-hmm. you know it's just not efficient no because as you know if you're home just doesn't add up yeah you're a home brewer so i don't know if you're doing like five or ten or fifteen gallon batches mm-hmm. but ten yeah a ten gallon batch for you to brew is the same amount of time it takes us to do 15 here sure 
So like you want to do more because And I don't do it efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, you're probably having a beer while you do it. Yeah, right? or Hanging three. Up, listen to music. Yeah, exactly. And I usually do it with friends. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that we all like enjoy it together. So we pitched in on all the stuff and we'll just get yeah. together, light a fire, sit, bring everything out in the backyard. Is it a shed? Well, is it like in your garage or in the garage shed or usually, okay. or in my backyard, right on the patio? Perfect. Yep. The best, the best is when you're outside, or like that fall brew where you're outside. Yep, beers like it's just crisp enough yep. outside, and the beer tastes. Oh, I miss that. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but yeah, so we're 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 looking forward. I think back to this where you know we've got a. This is probably the best team we've ever had in place, and so nice. we're, we're ready for. We're really ready. For, for, for what's growth, next for, for what's next yeah i can't wait to see what's next i think that's a perfect note to to end this and yeah. say i'll come back again and once things have gone where they're going next we can talk about what <laughs> yeah. happens there exactly all right thanks man I, I mean good luck with everything as it moves on and uh i'll be here anyway yeah. a lo- along the time watching things progress thanks for coming on today thank you for having me adam thank you